Mark chapter 1, verses 28 through 40, verses 28 through 31. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region around Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Burkett Notes The second miracle which our Savior wrought in this chapter, to confirm the truth and authority of his doctrine, was the rising up of Peter's wife's mother from her bed of sickness, where note one, that St. Peter, now a disciple and afterwards an apostle, was a married person. Neither the prophets of the Old Testament nor the ministers of the New did abhor the marriage bed, nor think themselves too pure for an institution of their maker. The Church of Rome, by denying the lawfulness of priest's marriage, makes herself wiser than God, who says, Hebrews 13.4, Marriage is honorable amongst all men. Observe, too, Peter, though a good man, and his wife's mother probably a gracious woman, yet in his family visited with sickness, strength of grace and dearness of respect even from Christ himself cannot prevail against diseases. God's own children are visited with bodily sickness as well as others. Observe 3. The charitable care of St. Peter and the other disciples, forthwith to acquaint Christ with the condition of the sick person. Anon, they tell him of her. The care of our fellow Christians, especially when of the number of our near and dear relations, in a time of sickness, is not to be deferred or delayed. Outward help for their bodies and the spiritual help of our prayers for their souls are both straightway to be afforded them. Observe 4. Christ's divine power manifested in this miraculous cure. He no sooner took her by the hand, but the fever left her. The miracle was not in curing an incurable distemper, but in curing an ordinary distemper after a miraculous manner, namely, one, by a touch of the hand, two, the recovery was instantaneous and sudden, immediately the fever left her, three, the visible effects of her recovery instantly appeared, she arose and ministered unto Christ and his disciples. That she could arise argues her cure miraculous, that she did arise and did minister to Christ argued her thankfulness. Learn thence that after Christ hath graciously healed any of us, it ought to be our first work and care to administer unto Christ, that is, to employ our recovered health in the service of Christ and to improve our renewed strength to the honor and glory of Christ. Verses 32 through 34. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. Burkett notes, The evangelist here declares sundry other miracles wrought by our Savior before the door of St. Peter's house, where he now was. He healed all the diseased that were brought unto him, and cast devils out of them that were possessed with them. But how comes it to pass that we read of so many possessed with devils in our Savior's time, and so few either before or since? Answer, one, probably Satan, perceiving that the Messiah was come in the flesh to destroy his kingdom, did rage the more, and discover great malice and enmity against mankind. Two, 
Perhaps Almighty God permitted Satan at that time to possess so many that Christ might have occasion to manifest his divine power by casting Satan out. And accordingly, we find our Savior dispossessing all that were possessed by Satan. It is added that he suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. That is, Christ would not be made known to be the Son of God by the preaching of the devil, to whom it belonged not to publish the gospel, lest the world should take from thence an occasion to think that our Savior held a correspondence with those wicked spirits, and that the miracles he wrought were performed by the devil's assistance, as being one in combination with him. Possibly, from the devil's owning Christ to be the Holy One of God, the Pharisees concluded that there was a compact and agreement betwixt them and thereupon their affirmation was grounded. He cast out devils by Beelzebub, etc. Verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the duty performed by our Savior, namely, prayer, solitary and private prayer. He went by himself alone, out of the hearing of his disciples. The company of our best friends is not always seasonable nor acceptable. There are times and cases when a Christian would not be willing that his dearest relation upon earth should hear that intercourse which passes betwixt him and his God. Observe too, Christ chooses the opportunity of the morning for prayer. He rises a great while before day to set about this work, teaching us that the morning is a fit season, yea, the best season, for private duties. Now our spirits are freshest and our minds freest, before the distraction of the day breaks in upon us. It is better to go from prayer to business than from business to prayer. Verses 36 through 39. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore I came forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. Burkett notes, Observe here two things. First, the great end of Christ in his incarnation and coming into the world, namely, as a prophet sent from God to reveal his will, and to publish the doctrine of the gospel. Therefore came I forth, that is, to preach and plant the gospel. Secondly, it being Christ's design not only to plant, but to propagate the gospel, he would not confine his ministry to any particular places, no, not to the great city of Capernaum, but resolved to preach the word in the smallest towns and villages leaving his ministers herein an instructive example to be as willing to preach the gospel in the smallest villages as in the largest cities, if God calls them thereunto. Let the place be never so obscure and mean, and the congregation never so small and little. If God sends us thither, the greatest of us must not think it beneath us to go and instruct a handful of people. Verses 40 to 45. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightway charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, Seest thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. 
but he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. Burkett notes, The last miracle of our Saviors recorded in this chapter is the healing of a leper. He came, beseeching Christ to heal him, saying, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Where, observe, he doth not question Christ's power, but distrust Christ's willingness to heal him. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst. Christ's divine power must be fully assented to and firmly believed by all those that expect benefit by him and healing from him. Observe, too, the great readiness of Christ to help and heal this distressed person. Jesus touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. By the ceremonial law, the leper was forbidden to be touched. Therefore, Christ touching the leper showed him to be above the law, and that he was the Lord of it, which might dispense with it. And as healing the leper by the word of his mouth and the touch of his hand showed him to be true and really God. Leprosy among the Jews was an incurable distemper called the finger of God, a disease of his sending and of his removing. Our Savior, therefore, as proof of his being the true Messiah, tells John's disciples, Matthew 11.5, the lepers were cleansed and the dead raised by him, which two being joined together do imply that the cleansing of lepers is as much an act of divine power as the raising of the dead. And accordingly, 2 Kings 5.7, it is said, Am I God that this man sends me to cure a man of his leprosy? Observe 3. The certainty and suddenness of the cure was a proof of Christ's divine power. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Christ not only cured him without means, but without the ordinary time required for such a cure. Thus, Christ showed both power and will to cure him miraculously, who believed his power, but questioned his willingness. Observe 4. The cause moving our Savior to cure this leper. His bowels were moved with tender pity and compassion towards him. Christ's exercising acts of mercy and compassion with such condolency and sympathizing pity should, by way of example, teach us to be inwardly moved with tender compassion and mercy towards such as are in misery. We are not only to draw out our bread, but to draw out our soul to the hungry. Observe 5, a twofold charge and command given by Christ to the leper after his cure. First, to conceal and tell it to no man. Where the great modesty, humility, and piety of Christ is discovered, together with the care of his own safety. His modesty, in not desiring his good deeds, should be published and proclaimed. His humility, in shunning vainglorious applause and commendation. His piety, in desiring all honor and glory, should redound entirely to God. And the care of his own safety appeared lest the publishing of his miracle should create him untimely dangers from the Pharisees. The second part of the charge given to the recovered leper was to show himself to the priest and offer the gifts which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. That is, to testify to the Jews that he had not opposed the ceremonial law, which required a thank-offering at his hand, and that he was the true and promised Messiah. Learn thence that our Savior would have the ceremonial law punctually observed so long as the time of its continuance did endure. Though he came to destroy that law, yet whilst it stood, he would have it punctually observed. Observe 6. Notwithstanding our Savior's strict prohibition, the leper publishes the fame of this miracle. 
It is likely his intention might be good in extolling his great benefactor, but his acting contrary to Christ's command was a fault and shows the corruption of human nature in being most forward to that which is most forbidden. It is a sin to do anything against the command of Christ, though with never so good a meaning, purpose, and intention to exalt and honor Christ. Observe lastly, the inconveniences which attend our Savior upon this indiscreet publication of the miracle. And they were two. One, our Savior could no more enter into Capernaum and other cities to preach in an open manner, as he had done, by reason of the great concourse of people after him. Two, the fame of this miracle brought the people about him from all quarters, not so much to hear as to see, not so much to hear his holy and heavenly doctrine, which he taught, as to gratify their curiosity with the sight of the miracles which he wrought. Oh, how many thronged after Christ, more to have their bodily diseases cured than their souls healed. Christ desired not their flocking after him upon this account. Therefore he retires from the breath of popular applause. He would not openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. Oh, how great humility! How little did our blessed Redeemer regard the applause and commendation of men. Constantly we find him, as soon as his public preaching and working of miracles was over, withdrawing himself from the multitude into some private place apart. He doth not stay in the crowd with his ear open to listen how men admire the preacher and applaud the sermon, plainly showing that he sought the Father's glory, not his own praise or the people's commendation, leaving his example as an instructive pattern to all his ministers and ambassadors to take heed of vainglory, not to affect popularity, or to seek the applause and commendation of men in what they do, resolving that man's opinion shall be nothing with them, but that the pleasing of God and the doing their duty to the souls of their people shall always be their whole scope. <laughs>